All right, all you 8-Bit Wrestling fans out there tonight, welcome back to the Yendi Radio Arcade. And now it's time for us to go into another edition of the 8-Bit Pay-Per-View. Man, I should have said that during the intro, but nevertheless, for this week, folks, it's none other than the pay-per-view of the 37th annual Survivor Series from the All-State Arena in Rosemont, Illinois. Even though they build it as Chicago, still in Rosemont, but either way you look at it, still Wrestle City, USA. Because I forgot to mention during Music Village that this would be the place where they would also have WrestleMania 22. Still to this day, one of my favorite arenas to date. Just saying. And with all that factoids out of the way, folks, we go into our first match of the night, which would see the, hmm, women's war games match. Seeing Team Bianca Belair going one-on-one against Team Damage Control. And Bianca Belair in her third War Games match with her team having the advantage with see Shotzi Blackheart with a Billy the Puppet purple jacket and even Charlotte Flair wearing pink that night in her first War Games match with Becky Lynch in her second. And Becky Lynch kicking off War Games for this year while all the members of Damage Control would be wearing Kabuki masks to, you know, be a cohesive unit. I think it would have been better if they all painted their faces too, but nevertheless, Bailey, as the captain, would kick off War Games on the opposite side of her former four horsewoman partner and friend in crime. And the, the former four horsewomen of wrestling would turn into war horses tonight because we would see action going back and forth between Bailey and company with Becky actually getting in control during this set contest only until Bailey would toss her into the cage and would even hit her in with a modified suplex onto the steel diamond plate in the center. Then you would even see a modified toss to the cage and two separate drop kicks to Bailey by Becky Lynch, only for Dakota Kai to get involved with a kendo stick from the outside. And the next person involved in this match since Team BLR got the advantage would see none other than Shotzi Blackheart heading into this contest only to slam the door in the face of Bailey and would even bring every single chair and kendo stick you could imagine but no tables in the process only for her to add a little bit of ECW action to this match with not only a modified Sabu step-up chair senton to Bailey against the ropes, only for her to pull off a disgusting suicide dive landing on her head just to try to take out Bailey. Yikes! Yikes! Then next up you would see on Team Damage Control in this match none other than Eel Sky who would be in her second War Games match or should I say her fifth War Games match in second for Team Damage Control and would enter in with a chain and not only would take out Shotzi with a beal throw with the said chain but would also take out Becky Lynch with a chain shot right to the gut. 
only to see Bianca Belair, the team captain of her team, in the match third to try to take it to damage control with dual braid attacks. Sort of reminded me of Sindel from Mortal Kombat and would even be able to do a modified alley-oop bomb directly to EO Sky, directly into the trash can in the corner. Only for Kairi Zane to walk into the match next for team damage control, Plank walking her way to the ring with a trash can lid. Only to hit Shotzi in the face with a spinning back fist and even a drop kick almost reminded me of Rob Van Dam with the trash can in the face of none other than Becky Lynch. Then we would then see and probably one of the craziest moves thus far of the night, a sliding D to Bianca Belair, which would be a sliding elbow strike right to the face of Bianca, right directly against the cage, only to follow things up with the next craziest move of the night, an assisted insane elbow to Shotzi by the chairs. Thanks to EO Sky, giving her a little bit of elevation for it, which was nuts. And then finally, on the team of Bianca Belair, we would see Charlotte Flair making her way into the ring, pull off a fallaway slam to Kyrie Zane directly into Bailey, and then would even pull off a powerbomb to Eel Sky against the cage. And to quote Michael Cole, it would feel like a cheese grater from that height from which she powerbombed her by, which makes that powerbomb disgusting. But outside of disgusting power bombs, folks, we would then see our what the hell moment of the night in the form of EO Sky living up to her name of the genius of the sky to dumb waiter a, a trash can. And I'm still trying to figure this out. How was the trash can able to stick onto the chain for her to bring it up, for her to put it on, and jump off the cage to take everybody out to give Asuka enough of an opportunity to enter into the match with not only more kendo sticks, a fire extinguisher, but even the tables that the fans were chanting for throughout the entire night? And immediately after Asuka would enter the match and kick off this War Games match, we would then see not only a modified version of a double power bomb by Charlotte and Becky reconciling their differences, but also during the set contest, besides all of them getting back together as two of the four horsewomen, we would also see to Becky Lynch and Bianca during this match getting quad drop kick while being chained, and even a moonsault off the cage by Charlotte during this match to everybody for near fall. But then during this set contest, she would see two of the horsewomen teaming up together, not only to pull off a figure eight that would get broken up by Bailey with an elbow, but Kyrie Zane not so lucky seeing none other than Becky Lynch breaking up the insane elbow with her knees to pull off a disarmor that we would see getting broken up by Bailey with a tiger knee right directly to the face. Then immediately after that, we would see a doomsday drop kick to Asuka by the help of Bianca Belair and company only for that to get broken up by Bailey. For the mist to get stopped with a fire extinguisher by Bianca Belair during the set contest. Only for Bianca Belair to sit idly by as we would see Charlotte 
trying to spear Kairi Zane, only to spear none other than Bailey, only for Bailey to suffer the wrath of the ball pit senton, followed by the kiss of death by none other than Bianca Belair, then even followed by an avalanche manhandle slam for Bailey, the captain, to fall in this match despite their advantage, which would turn into a disadvantage for the team of Bianca Belair to win this match via pinfall. And as the match would end, we would see all of them celebrating on the top of the cage with their said victory for us to move on to what would happen backstage, which would see Otis and Pretty Deadly arguing about it being crisp or chips for none other than R-Truth after the chips would go everywhere. Yes, I'm calling them chips for R-Truth to tell them, yeah, these are ruffles and you can taste the meat in them. And can't we all just get along and watch Tazawa do the ruffle shuffle? So apparently the dance that he does that's backstage that's so nasty is now being called the ruffle shuffle. Allow it. <laughs> and after a little bit of the ruffle shuffle, folks, next thing you know, we would see Jay Uso blaming himself, saying that, yeah, the reason Randy is not coming back because we were the ones who put him on the shelf, and Sami Zayn to say last year he came together with him to help him defeat the other team in war games. We'll do the same thing tonight. I got your back. Don't worry about Randy. And after that vote of confidence for Jay Uso for an attempt of a non-Viper appearance, at Survivor Series, we would then see our second match of the night, none other than The Miz going one-on-one -on -one against the ring general and intercontinental champion, Gunter, for the intercontinental championship, just in case for those who don't know at home. And during this said contest, we would see The Miz immediately going after the legs of Gunter every single chance he would get, even pulling off a figure four leg lock on the post to Gunter, only for Miz to hit a satellite DDT during the set contest for near fall, for Gunter to come back with a Tyrannosaurus Rex dropkick and a powerbomb for near fall, only for the Miz to remove the turnbuckle pad, kick the knee and the groin of one <laughs> ring general Gunter, leading into a skull crushing finale still for near fall. And then we would see The Miz countering the makeshift sleeper hold into a pinfall of its own. But unfortunately for The Miz, right after that, we would see The Miz getting hit with a nasty lariat, a splash to the spine, leading directly into a walls of Jericho with the knee on the neck, giving Miz no choice but to tap out for none other than Gunter to win this match via submission and retain his Intercontinental Championship and keeping Miz away from the nine-time tie of Chris Jericho, which I find it ironic that he used the walls of Jericho to beat somebody who was about to become a nine-time Intercontinental Champion. Impressive, impressive. And after that match, folks, the next match that we have up would see none other than Dragon Lee going one-on-one -on -one against Santos Escobar. Now, the only reason this match is taking place, folks, is because of what happened on SmackDown. 
because on SmackDown, we would see Santos Escobar blaming Carlito for everything that happened, saying that he wasn't really a member of LWO, and would say that Ray's not coming back and it's all your fault. Only for him to get in a bit of a fist fight with Carlito, for the officials to separate Carlito and none other than Santos Escobar, for Escobar to hit him with a running knee or a jumping flying knee, and according to Carl and my show, it counts as a tiger knee right directly to the arm of none other than Carlito. Only for Dragon Lee to help him backstage, but unfortunately Carlito injured and out, and unfortunately would not see this match happen until Dragon Lee stepped up to the plate and say he wants in, and he wants Santos, and he would get him tonight at Survivor Series. But for Dragon Lee, I would be careful what you wish for, folks, because during this match, despite Dragon Lee hitting a beautiful corner stomp for near fall out of the corner, while Santos was hanging, sort of reminding me of what happened with Alberto Del Rio doing that as a move, only for him to get hit with a nasty, modified version of a super kick, kicking him out of his shoes, only for Dragon Lee to come back with a deadlift sit-out powerbomb. Only for near fall. But only things would get worse for Dragon Lee because he would get caught out of nowhere for the South of the Border Destroyer, nice name for the move by the way, leading directly into a Phantom Driver for the leader of Legado del Fantasma to win this match via pinfall. Even though that, you know, the group Legado del Fantasma is no more, he still has the music. That's why I said it. And after the match was over backstage, we would see New Day arriving in the Slim Jim Mobile and wondering how many Slim Jims they need to eat to actually get that said car, but wouldn't get an answer. I know, I know. Anyway, besides that bit of silliness, the next match on the card would see none other than Zoe Stark going one-on-one -on -one against Rhea Ripley for the World's Championship of the Women's Division. And before this match could even begin, Zoe Stark with some cool war paint and Rhea Ripley with a very unique look and pyrotechnic for her entrance. Never thought it would happen. I thought she was going to get the whole arena effect thing, but finally gave her some form of pyrotechnics. But the reason why in the world we mentioned pyrotechnics, folks, is because the second this match start, yeah, there'll be some fireworks of some type. Because Zoe Stark, after getting in a bit of a slap contest with Rhea, would hit her with a drop kick, sending her to the outside of the ring, leading to her doing a crossbody off the top rope on to Rhea Ripley on the outside of the ring, leading into an inside of the ring missile drop kick, still for near fall. Even seeing a corkscrew senton that would lead to a near fall during this contest, only for Rhea Ripley to bust out the electric chair drop or a move I like to call high fidelity onto the apron and even tossing her into the ring post. Then what would happen next off the top rope? I don't know, a beal throw launch or a choke slam gone wrong. Either way, it would be from off the top rope by Rhea Ripley to none other than Zoe Stark 
Then after that, we would see a modified capoeira kick or a crescent kick by none other than Zoe Stark for near fall. But that capoeira kick we were talking about would be done by the nightmare herself, leading directly to a wheelbarrow face crusher and a northern light suplex, still for a near fall during the set contest. Only for Zoe Stark to come back with a nasty German suplex and a sliding tiger knee right directly to the face, still for near fall. But this match would come to an emphatic end with a counter to the Z360 leading into chops to the throat, a nasty headbutt, and a riptide for the nightmare of the women's division to still reign supreme via pinfall. And the next match we got up for tonight, folks, is our main event of the evening, which would see none other than the men's War Games match, which would see the team of the Judgment Day and Drew McIntyre teaming up to fight against Team Cody Rhodes. And the Judgment Day, as they would make their way to the ring after Drew McIntyre would make his entrance, would see them all wearing cool leather jackets and a cool mask to finally show they're a unit, a part of the Judgment Day, and not only that, but showing that they can all work together. But then we would see Seth Rollins coming out on the other side of the field dressed up like Loki to start war games for this year. And while the fans were singing along with his song, we would then see him pull off a suicide dive to go one-on-one -on -one with Finn Balor who was kicking off war games and more lights kicking off their rivalry for this match. And after that surprise suicide dive to Seth Rollins, next up, we would then see Seth Rollins pulling off a backbreaker knee and a kick to the face right directly to Finn Balor for J.D. McDonough to enter in next, or so I thought until Seth Rollins kept them out long enough for J.D. to get a kendo stick and to assist his friend, Finn Balor with repeated candlestick shots and for Finn to even rub the candlestick or pull it against the face of Seth saying you're in here with a former champion Finn Balor and you're in for a long night you're in for a long night as he ground the candlestick into his face then next up inside the cage would be Jay Uso with chair in hand to take out Finn Balor and hit JD and Finn with a set of, and uh, hopefully I'm saying this right, Carlin Maestro, yeet punches, apparently. That's a thing now, of course. But besides that bit of silliness, next up you would see Damian Priest making his way into the ring despite Drew McIntyre wanting to get in to beat the daylights out of none other than Jay Uso who was finally in the cage. Only for Priest to break out a riot baton and take it to Seth Rollins and Jay Uso followed by clashes or splashes into the corner and a launching version of a broken arrow to Jay Uso. Then next inside the cage would see Sami Zayn with a kendo stick taking it away from JD and even slamming the door on the face of Finn Balor during this match. Only for Sami Zayn to get a table and a blue thunder bomb directly to JD McDonough. 
and would even tear apart the war game structure itself by pulling off a pipe from off the side of the cage to immediately hit not only Priest, but also JD McDonald with an axe handle smash. Yikes. And the next man into this match would see none other than Drew McIntyre in the Scottish Terminator with a mission on mine of demolition to take out not only Seth Rollins and even toss Sami Zayn around, even using Seth as a weapon to Sami, sort of reminding me of what happened with Loki with the Hulk slamming him around and instead of saying puny human or puny god afterwards, he would set his sights directly to none other than Jey Uso by slamming him into the cage and beating the daylights out of him. But fortunately for Jay Uso, he would have some help in the form of Sami Zayn, helping him to pull off a 1D to try to take him out. And then after a bit of hell, we would finally see Cody Rhodes into this contest. And the man whose father invented this very match would see him honoring him with a cowbell bull rope to try to take out the competition with the help of Seth Rollins, not only clotheslining one man of the Judgment Day, but also making Finn Balor sing soprano by giving him a little bit of the low blow with the rope. Ouch! Ouch! Only for the final member of the Judgment Day to enter in the contest in the form of Dominic Mysterio to do or try to do three amigos to Cody Rhodes but would only get beaten down by everybody only for everybody to suffer the wrath of a four-man chokeslam with the help of Drew McIntyre by Damian Priest. Then immediately after that, you would see not only a frog splash to Cody by Dominic, a coup de gras by Finn to Seth, even a moonsault by JD to Sammy, leading into a razor's edge to Seth Rollins through the table. And as the clock would wind down and no sign of Randy, we would see somebody else with an R in front of their name coming to the ring in the form of Rhea Ripley to cash in the Money in the Bank briefcase. But just when she was about to cash it in, she started hearing voices. Randy Orton, after a year and six months absence from the company, would finally make his return tonight and would not only do clotheslines, power slams, and even a hesitation DDT to Finn Balor, but then would be able to see all the members of the Survivor Series team work together in unison to give a hesitation DDT to all the members of the Judgment Day and Drew McIntyre. And as Randy Orton was about to set up for an RKO, he would switch his direction directly to Jay and would tell him, I haven't forgotten what you did to me. I haven't forgotten. Only for none other than Damian Priest to get a super kick to the face, Dominic to suffer the wrath of an RKO. Meanwhile, as the camera would pan over, we would then see a stomp to Damian Priest on a diamond metal plate in the center of the ring, followed by a Cody Cutter to Finn Balor, a Haluva kick to Drew, and even an Uso splash directly to Drew McIntyre. For JD McDonald to say, uh, you know what? Screw this, I'm out of here. 
But before he can even escape, Sammy and Seth Rollins would climb the cage, beat the daylights out of him, and with Randy Orton waiting on the ground, almost reminding me as my brother would wait for a fly ball in MLB 98, he would catch him, and just like in that game, out! would be J.D. McDonald with a nasty RKO from high above the skies. And after that said RKO, we would see the team captain hitting the other captain of Damian Priest with a nasty crossroads for this match to end in favor of the team with the most winning soul survivor moments in his history of his career. And I'm talking about Randy Orton, Mr. Survivor Series himself. Via pinfall, the team of Cody winning the match is what we were trying to lead to. <laughs> but after the match was over and while everybody was celebrating, next thing you know, you would hear static on the microphone and then CM Punk music hitting in the form of cult of personality. And, and oh my God, after nine years away from the company, a company that handed him his walking papers on his wedding day, a company that put him number one in the Royal Rumble and have him screwed by a corporate cane, would see CM Punk finally back in WWE for him to say, it's clobbering time! With the help of the fans in attendance in Chicago, for 17,000 fans in attendance to be overly excited about his return, with the exception of one man in the form of Seth Rollins, who via videotapes from the fans would show him trying to tell Randy to get his you know what down here so they can settle it which makes me believe that wherever show CM Punk is on it's gonna be much watched television or must watch TV according to Carl and the Maestro and for a future and I don't know if it's gonna happen clash with Seth Metal Seth Rollins but until then folks Join us next time when we come into your homes for the next pay-per-view that will be in 2024, known as the Royal Rumble, which will be taking place on Saturday, January 27th. And if you're wondering at home, that'll be just right before the 10-year anniversary of Music Village. So yeah, a lot of celebration and a lot of cool things to happen as of next year. But before we gaze too far into the future, folks, I think it's time for us to go grab a glass of water. And when we return, we'll be back with more of the Indie Radio Arcade as we return right after a word from our sponsor. So don't run out of quarters just yet, folks, and stay tuned. 